Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. You grow up loving the Lord God and you want to serve Him directly as a youth pastor. The problem is you have a growing family with growing financial needs. So what to do? Sell jets, of course. (laughs) Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams, and I'm very happy to welcome Tom Lelio, president of Jet Life Arrow. In this episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Tom, the surprising way he transitioned from youth pastor to become a multi-million dollar jet broker What most people get wrong about the jet brokering business, why you should contact Tom if you are hardworking, ambitious, and have an interest in becoming a broker too, and much, much more. Thank you for stopping by today, as it is my hope you will listen, learn, but most importantly, connect. Well, it is my pleasure to have Tom Lelio, president of Jet Life Aero, specializing in sales and acquisitions of private jets. Tom, welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me, man. It is a pleasure to have you on because I'll tell you what, I'm way outside my element right now. I haven't <laughs> ever talked to a anybody involved in the private jet industry, so this is going to be a lot of fun for me, too. I, I had a lot of fun uh, researching the industry, so uh, we're going to really get into it today. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's funny, like you tell people that you sell private jets and like, what is that like? There's just not a lot of information and not a lot of opportunities to pull back that curtain on private aviation. So that's kind of what uh, I've fallen into over the past few years. That's cool. Well, I'm really fascinated by how you got into the industry. We're going to get into all that in just a second here, but I have to ask my favorite question, which is, what's one thing most people don't know about Tom? Um, I would say there's probably two quick things. You know, One, most people don't know that um, I'm actually from Columbia. Uh, that's where I was born, but I was raised in, in, in Northern New Jersey. So I love myself a Taylor ham, egg and cheese sandwich, you know, <laughs> shout out Brooklyn bagels, shout out Jersey girl bagels here in town that are trying to bring back a little bit of that, that hometown flavor. Um, but really what a lot of people don't know about me is I'm actually a really big Marvel cinematic universe, um, star Wars, like fan geek. That's one of the things my, my kids and I, we geek out on, we go to all the the openings and, you know, we'll dress up in costume and it's just, it's just a lot of fun. It's a great thing I love to share with my children. 
That's fascinating. It's um, the guy who owns the hosting software, Mark Asquith, whom I've met before. He's actually in Great Britain, but he's a huge Star Wars geek. And matter of fact, the name of his company is Rebel Base Media. So uh, that's kind of my connection with Star Wars. Of course, I remember when the very first one came out, we were just gobsmacked by the graphics and all that sort of jazz. So it's amazing. So do you get back to Columbia much at all? Um, not too often. Um, I, last time we went, my wife and I was, it was back in November. Um, fun story. Like I was actually adopted from Columbia and a couple of years back, my wife was able to find my biological mother on Facebook. Wow. Fast forward. I mean, it was kind of a, a wacky. We got to bring you back for that entire story. I'm sure that was yeah. something else. <laughs> my goodness. Wow. Well, I, Colombia is, I, I've spent a lot of time in Central South America, primarily Argentina, Brazil, Chile, not Brazil, actually, uh, Argentina, I have been to Brazil, but Colombia was always on my bucket list because there's some great things that are going on down there. And unfortunately, they still have a lot of the hangover from the 70s and 80s and all that gobbledygook, but it's, they've completely transformed that country down there. And uh, a lot of guys that I know, I sh- should say some guys I've run around with, some big money guys, they were down there buying up property and investing in there, and they just think it's a great place to but to build their wealth. So, yeah, so yeah, there's definitely opportunity down there. So when I can afford a jet, you and I'll fly down and we'll go down and buy some property. How about that? That sounds like a plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, so jet brokering, that is a fascinating industry and you got to share with us how in the world did you get into it? Yeah, I, I kind of stumbled upon it. I mean, God bless the internet and indeed.com, you know, for, for, for real, I actually went to school uh, and I studied theology. I got a, a, a undergraduate um, degree in theology from DeSales University in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Went ahead to get a master's degree in systematic theology from St. Charles Borromeo Seminary uh, in Philly. And spent the first, you know, pretty much all my 20s uh, in youth ministry. I was a youth pastor in the Catholic Church for, for many, many years. That's what brought us down to florida you know we were just kind of sick and tired of the cold and a job opportunity opened up i i i flew down here for the interview i had a couple interviews some in tampa some in naples and the first one was in sarasota i never heard of sarasota when when uh, the business manager called me he's like ever hear of him like no i mean never and so we got here we interviewed they gave me the job like right on the spot I called up the other interviews and said, I don't need to come in. And my wife and I, we went to Disney World for the rest of our <laughs> of our trip down here. So uh, we spent some time here in Sarasota. Um, I, went, I served as a youth minister at a couple of different churches in the area. And then I had an opportunity to work with an amazing organization in Sarasota called Music Compound, uh, which is a music school here in town. Now just opened up a new location in Manatee. And there I served as a manager. We grew the school. We improved on their marketing uh, and sales. And, you know, marketing and sales has always kind of just been part of my DNA, whether it was marketing and selling Jesus, quote unquote, you know, in ministry, because you had the hardest demographic to sell to, you know, for most of my life, I was trying to sell to middle schoolers and high schoolers about their faith, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so great product quote unquote product. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, how do you, how do you market and, and, and sell to that demographic? I didn't realize it at the time, but that's really what I was doing. And then college, I sold knives, you know, those, those Cutco knives door to door. I still have mine. So many famous doors, people have done the same thing. I'm yeah. trying to think of the former governor of uh, Texas. He started off by doing that. So yep, maybe yep. you'll become governor someday. 
<laughs> so, so I did that and then, um, music school, marketing and sales. And then it just got to the point where my wife and I were blessed. We have five children right now. They're between the ages of five and 13, oh my you know? And so goodness. at that time in our life, you're you know, definitely Catholic. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> I you got know, three like, daughters. I can, I can, I can jump in on that. So for sure, for sure. So, so five years ago, I mean, we were living paycheck to the paycheck for a decade, yeah. you know. And thankful we have a lot of family in town. You know, people were helping us out, and we were able to make it. But you know, we finally got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And so I just went online, and I don't even know or remember what the job description was. I just remember finding out eventually. I, it was a job interview to sell private jets. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take a swing. I, they had my, my resume and I was fortunate enough that they took a chance, you know, on someone. I, wow. I appreciated that they were not necessarily looking for the professional pilot, the professional salesperson. Like they wanted someone that they could shape and they could mold and cool. someone that was hungry. And, and I kind of checked all those boxes. So that's how I got into, into private aviation, worked with that company for a number of years. And now I'm here with Jet Life Arrow, uh, opened up my own agency. Cool. It, it, but, uh, but so you were a Star Wars fan from a kid. All, it, it, do you think that picked your interest in really applying for the job or you were you oh, also yeah, a, a yeah. Actually, that's jet a great, guy? Yeah, that's actually a great point. So one of my, one of my first experiences with aviation was building my Lego X-Wing. And it wasn't like the, the, the packs that they have now that my kid loves, you know, it's all branded and stuff like that. Literally, it was just like I, in my brain, you know, took the form of an X-Wing and just made it via Legos. And I was running around the house pretending to be an X-Wing pilot. <laughs> then I saw Top Gun. And so I wanted to fly. Yeah. Um, I, I actually franchise. took flying lessons when I was, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 years old. I only lasted about three or four lessons because at the time I was getting severe headaches when I was going up there. I think part of it was a too tight of headphones and, and the, uh, and the, uh, the Avgas uh, smell the fuel, uh, the smell of the fuel yeah, yeah, yeah. is kind of giving me a headache. And so I wow. quit on being a pilot, you know, many, many years ago. And, uh, that was kind of my experience with aviation prior to. Wow. Well, that's really cool. Well, let's get into what you do and how you do it. So tell us about the jet brokering industry. Yeah. Most people, uh, when you think of brokering or, or something, a big ticket item, I mean, to me it's cars and houses as a consumer, that's what I know. But jet brokering is a completely different beast. Tell us about the industry. What does that look like? Is is are there tons of guys like you? Is it very is it a small fraternity of people? What what does that look like? Well, you know, it's 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 interesting, you know, that you that you put it that way. One of my passions is pulling back the curtain on private aviation because it really can be a lot more accessible than people think. So when I first started to be a jet broker, I did the same thing as you. I was like, well, what is it? How does this work? And Probably the, the most analogous occupation out there is real estate. You know, basically you're, you're, you start off as a broker, um, trying to find a listing with that listing will bring buyers and then you sell the listing. And now you start to have a book of business where you have, you know, people you've called to sell their plane. You have buyers that have called to buy a plane. You cultivate those relationships and you just continue you know, to build a snowball effect to put buyers and sellers together. That's probably the easiest way I can put it. That's interesting. So so when is somebody in the market for a jet? And is this typically corporations? Is it individuals that, you know, maybe they made a killing in crypto? What does that look like as far as you, the type of clients that you deal with? 
that's one of the best parts about private aviation is that there's a wide range of clients. So I have primarily focused in uh, light jets, which are typically owner operators. So a lot of them are people that are successful business men and women. Um, a lot of them don't need to go very far. They want to hop around the tri-state area and uh, they're looking for a jet to get there quickly and get over the weather. A, a good handful of them are pilots themselves. They want to learn how to fly a jet. Um, so that's kind of where 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 I'm at. In that within that bubble too, you also have medical operators. You know, companies uh, that yeah, build sure. their business on transporting medical uh, people and medical items. Um, and then when you get into like the newer, the bigger jets, now you're starting to, to deal more with corporations, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, a lot of the last few years have been the sales have been fueled by the accelerated depreciation that was part of the tax code um, that started a couple of years back. It was a hundred percent. You could write off a hundred percent of your purchase in a single year. Um, all the way up until last year. Now it's down to 80 and will slowly, um, you know, slowly go away over the next few years. Interesting. Interesting. So, so do you deal with both? Well, first off, talk about the different tiers of jets because you said individuals will buy, I guess, some of the smaller jets corporations, the larger ones. So price wise, are we talking about? Two million bucks at the lower end and, you know, 50 or $100 million at the high end. What, what does that look like? Yeah. So a couple of different categories of jets. You've got your very light jets, which are small, compact, fuel efficient. Your light jets that get a little bit bigger. These are all jets that are going to be seating four to six people. You know, it could be single pilot. It's going to be similar to sliding into a nice Cadillac Escalade. You're going to be hunched over. You get to your seat. You sit down. Now you can kind of stretch out a little bit, but you're going to stay in your seat the whole time. Yeah. Right, and that's right. that can be anything from you know half a million dollars all the way up to two, three, eight million dollars, depending on how new you want to get. So um, that's the very light jet market, the light jet market. Then you go into your your mid-sized cabins, which you know I can stand up in. I'm kind of a hobbit, right? I'm like a mid-sized SUV, huh? Yeah. So 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 now it's kind of all, it's more closer to like a sprinter van, so you can kind of stand up in it, but you're still going to stand up, go to your seat, sit down. They have a little bit more range. They can go further. A nice mid-sized jet, two to eight million dollars, let's say. Um, and then from there, you go to your heavy jets. I mean, there's super mids in between, but you go to your heavy jets, which are the ones that you probably see on your commercials and your movies, your Gulf Streams, um, you know, your big Falcons, you know, uh, the big Challengers. Those are the ones that you could practically break dance in the middle of the cabin. You know, there's so much room there. You're taking, you know, anywhere from 10, 12, 20 people. Um, and those are going to be, you know, $10 million and all the way up. I've got one deal that I'm trying to, to broker right now. It's a brand new, uh, uh, yeah, it's a brand new global 8,000 and that's priced at $75 million. Oh, so there's man, real cool. wide reach. Wow. Wow. Well, what, what do most people get wrong about what it is that you do then? A lot of maybe people, maybe misconcept misconceptions about yeah mis like the brokering industry yeah misconceptions so I would I would break it down to misconceptions about brokering and misconceptions about buying or selling a jet um, so misconceptions about brokering is like oh man you must be flying all the time well no I only fly like when I have to uh, misconceptions oh you are you, you're, you're a pilot um, I just got my private pilot certificate 
Uh, but for many, many years as a broker, I wasn't necessarily a pilot. And that didn't stop me from, you know, being successful and connecting people and, and finding deals. A lot of people assume it's it's like real estate, you know, you get a, a set percentage and and wow, you get 3% of a $72 million deal. Well, no, that's not quite how it works. There's usually, you know, there's some range. Most listings will be from three to 6% uh, uh. commission on it, but only up to about maybe a million or $2 million. Once you get into planes that are above $2 million, now you start looking at, you know, flat rates, um, smaller right. percentages. That makes uh, sense. That sort of a thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and yeah. the other thing that most people don't know about being a jet broker is you actually don't need a specific license like you do in real estate. There's not a certificate or certification process. There's education you can get through organizations, but there's no specific like certificate that says you're a jet broker. Sh should there be? I think that it would be beneficial. Um, I don't, I, I always worry about, you know. I mean, know, it's such a high ticket item and you would, you would think as far as, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, it depends upon the buyer's perspective, you know, whether you, the credibility is there once you earn the certificate. But I mean, it seems like in Florida, you have to have a certificate for everything. So, well, you know, to your point, like just because you have a piece of paper doesn't mean you're any good at it. Of course. You know? So, uh, you know, you just have people studying for the test and I'd rather, I'd rather err on the side of less oversight, you know, from, from that, that's not necessarily going to solve the problem or, or it's going to slow things down than err on the side of like, yes, let's, let's like crack down as much as possible. So it is definitely, you know, and, and to your question, what people get wrong about buying a jet, you know, it's kind of buyer beware, you know, you do need to find a broker, you know, like, and trust. Um, and, and, and allow them to be your guide. And a lot of people try to do it solo, you know, cause maybe they bought their 172, their small little plane. They bought that by themselves. So they think they can buy a jet by themselves. But, you know, I really don't recommend that. I think what a lot of people get wrong, uh, when it comes to buying a jet is, is number one, they think it's uber expensive. And like I said, you can acquire a jet for under a million dollars. It'll cost you roughly two hundred four hundred thousand dollars a year to run it you know for uh so 20 to 40 percent is is that across all size jets i mean i mean um, if, if you have a 70 million dollar jet is is that going to cost you one hundred forty thousand, you know a year or i mean 1.4 million a year to to maintain there, there is a point of diminishing returns on that um but i usually just kind of ballpark it you know, uh, we, we use what's called the direct operating cost calculator. So similar to a boat, you know, you basically get an idea of, okay, it burns this much fuel and uh, this is how much you want to use it for. So that'll give you a, a breakdown. We know roughly what maintenance is going to cost. We know what hangers are going to cost. So when you're working with a broker, you can kind of uh, figure out what your operating costs are going to be. And um, that's, you know, that's kind of how we equate that out for them. So take us through the steps. Somebody contacts you or you contact them and you say, I have this model. I saw that you were looking for it. Take us kind of like through the steps of how you educate a buyer. And then, you know, what, again, you know, what does that look like? Yeah, for sure. So what's really interesting about the broker world is, uh, is the bar's kind of low uh, in, in some regards that, you know, if a buyer is going to controller.com and they find a jet and they call on it, you know, chances are greater than not that no one's going to answer that phone. Or if if someone does answer, it'll be a secretary. You're not going to actually talk to the person that you need to get the information from. So so for someone calls, I try to answer as, as quickly as I possibly can. 
And, you know, my first step is let's make sure that you're looking for the right thing. You know, some, a lot of people just see the price point on my jets because they're usually under a million dollars and they're like, oh, cool. Like I can buy a jet and off I go. Well, how, tell me, how far are you going? How many people are you taking with you? And, you know, how big of a cabin are you looking for? And so we, we have that conversation. Um, if it's the right jet, then the next step will be, we're going to go ahead and put an offer on that jet with an LOI. Uh, we'll go back and forth on pricing and terms. Once we get that you know, narrowed down, we're going to go to a fuller aircraft purchase agreement. Once we have the purchase agreement, that will outline the timeline of things that we need to do. And then we'll go to what's called a pre-buy. And so the pre-buy can entail a lot of things similar to real estate. It can be, it, We can inspect the engines. We can right. inspect the airframe. We can inspect the logbooks. Uh, we can do a lot of things. And some of them, sometimes it all takes place at once. Sometimes it takes place over the course of a couple of days. Uh, sometimes it's where the aircraft is located. Sometimes we have to bring it somewhere to a mechanic uh, to take a look at it. So we we go through the pre-buy. Um, then the buyer comes back to the seller and says, okay, I found X, Y, and Z wrong with it. Depending on the contract, the seller may or may not be responsible to fix things. Uh -huh. um, and if they're not responsible, they still may decide, you know, out of goodwill to fix things or to offer a price reduction. So we go one more round of negotiations. They agree. They sign the acceptance. Now the plane is going to be theirs. If they have to fix anything, they fix it. And then they take delivery of the aircraft. So that usually takes, you know, from the time we put in, uh, an LOI in, um, it can be done as early as, I mean, I've seen deals happen from LOI to inspection over the weekend, you know, because they went straight to an APA, put the offer in. That, that was the crazy market we had the last two What's years. What's APA? Uh, I'm sorry about that. They put an agreement, like a, a contract. They put it under contract right. one day and then... And, L, and I'm sorry, LOI is what? A letter of intent. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, you don't have to apologize. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. <laughs> well, that, that, that's, in, that's, a standard, that's a standard term, but... Uh, but, it, but, but, and I'm sorry. So the cycle, I mean, is your lead time, you know, from the time you contact somebody, it, is it all over the place or how fast do these transactions take place? I, I, I would say usually between 30 and 90 days. Oh, okay. Um, once we get it under contract. So once it's under contract, you're not going to take delivery of that plane for another month or two is kind of what I tell people. Right. It also depends like um, with this global, we're dealing with a, a huge, you know, 70 plus million dollar um transaction so the pre-buy is going to take a little bit longer you know it might sit at the shop for a couple of weeks it might not get to the shop for a couple of weeks because everyone's back ordered so uh, but usually if i'm working with a buyer and they say tom i need you to find this plane usually within a month i can get them something and put it under contract and then from there another one to three months to actually take delivery so if you want to buy a jet start now if you want to buy it within the next six months how liquid is this market? Um, we were talking earlier about the real estate market. And of course, you know, I live in a uh, neighborhood, there's 18 homes. I mean, if I want to live in the neighborhood, I can see exactly what Zillow and Realtor, they, they you know, exact, pretty much exactly what you're getting until, obviously, until you do the inspection. Uh, what does that look like in, in the jet industry? Because to me, well, I, I just don't really have a point of reference other than the housing market. Yeah, for sure. So what's interesting about the private jet market and aviation kind of in general, it's a very inefficient market. What I mean by that is any data points that you're getting is basically user generated. So, you know, we have an MLS, there's a couple of different systems that are similar to an MLS, like in right. real estate, where we have a database of 
you know, what things have sold for, what things are on sale for now, yada, yada, yada. But that market data, all those data points are user generated. So that means somebody called a broker or called an owner and said, hey, I see you sold your plane. How much did you sell it for? And it's, you know, on the honor system that they're not hiking it up or they're not putting it down. And so so it's inefficient in that regard. It's not recorded anywhere like it is in real estate, like this plane sold for X amount of dollars. Right. Now, couple that with two years of of a huge demand in private aviation and a huge you know decrease in supply. I mean, most of the time before COVID, uh, in any given moment, you'd have anywhere from 10 to 20% availability of the fleet. And what I mean by that is if there's 400 jets of a specific make and model ever made, you know, usually 10 to 20% of those are for sale. Over the past two Wait, years, say, you say that again. In, say that again now. So if think of a think of a of a, a single jet make and model, a Citation right. Five. Okay. Right? right. If there's only 400 that were ever built, right? At any given point in time, 10 to 20 percent wow. of that fleet yeah. of that 400 would be for sale. Wow. That's a regular supply and demand. Right. Ten you percent know, of the fleet is for sale. Well. Over the last two years, we saw markets go as low as two and three percent right. availability, and we're still not back to that ten to twenty percent in some in some markets. So the supply is still low. The demand was extremely high the last two years, and so you had so much change in such a little time because rates were still low, interest rates were really low. And so it just created this frenzy where I remember three years ago, there was a plane of Citation 5 worth anywhere from 800 to a million dollars, 800,000 to a million dollars. Right. Well, last year we sold one just about $2 million. Yeah. Like double in price. Right. Sounds, just, sounds, oh. like, sounds like the Florida housing market. Well, yeah. Yeah. You just <laughs> saw people put offers in that were above the asking price. They would waive the, uh, the inspection. And wow. they would just yeah. sight unseen buy it, and that just created this big, this big influx. We saw we saw market wide over the past two years an increase of about sixteen percent, twenty percent of valuations from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty three. And this would um, have to be a completely international market, correct? It is an international market. However, seventy to eighty percent of private aviation transactions and airplanes. Are in the United States. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And so, so, so to your question about to your question about the market, like where is it now? We're right. still uh, still have high demand, uh, still have low inventory. Um, we're off the peak. The peak was January, February, March of last year. Um, if it peaked at sixteen percent, uh, we just saw in quarter four it went down. I think it was either three or six percent. So you're still net ten percent up. Right. Um, past few years so i think we're just i just think we found a new a new marker a new standard and we're going to go back to you know jets are depreciating assets and they just they just depreciate over time and your jet's never going to be worth more than it is you know right now um and i want to talk about depreciation but i I, one thing i'm curious about the international markets is you know how much do other markets impact your market like the fuel industry such as interest rates Or, you know, the saber rattling that's going on right now, you know, over in Europe or I mean, I mean, what impacts your industry directly? And and you see it coming. You're like, well, there could be plenty of inventory or there's not going to be any. 
That's that's actually a fantastic question. The way other markets will impact private aviation. I mean, you've got fuel. Obviously, if fuel prices are skyrocketing, you're going to, you know, the nice thing about it is that there's options in aviation, right? So either you don't fly, which will cause you to sell. So that's that's still good for in the broker world because you're still, you know, transactions. Um, or you downgrade to a more fuel efficient uh, jet, which bumps the prices of the smaller jets and the bigger jets. Sure. You know, so it's it, that will have an impact, but it's not. I wouldn't necessarily call it a, cause it a positive or a negative impact. It just has an impact uh, because there's an, a, a different plague you need to run based on the cost of fuel. Similarly, um, uh, pilot, you know, education, pilot shortages are playing a role. Again, not positive or negative, but it'll depend on the make and model because different jets require different training. So pilot availability is playing a role. Interest rates are playing a role insofar as, I mean, it was stupid cheap to, to borrow money, sure. you know, buy a jet, put that cash into something that was going to make more than 3%. Now you have, now you have a hundred percent depreciating asset, uh, that's into, uh, that, 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 and that, that you bought with, with the borrowing. And then you put that money into another vehicle that's making you on top of that's covering those payments. I mean, it was just, it was a golden age for for borrowing and, and and buying. So interest rates will will definitely play a role. But at the end of the day, the reason people buy jets is because they they need that time, right? It's a time. Yeah, sure, sure. Time's um, the ultimate currency. Sure. Yeah. And the other thing I would say too is what's interesting about the outside of the USA. Um, a lot of countries are not as friendly to private aviation as the mm. United States. I mean, you've got. Canada, you've got Europe. I mean, they're all almost on the verge of banning private jets because of their impact on the environment as they see it. Right. You right. Know, they don't take into account. Right. I, I, I just I just posted um, uh, the other day on my YouTube, you know, the one of, someone from Disney, one of the higher ups, you know, was like, I don't fly private. I fly commercial and it's all for the environmental impact. And it was a I believe it was a Forbes magazine article that I reposted that showed, you know, of the global warming, you know, pie that everyone looks at, um, only 2% of the global warming footprint is coming out of aviation. And that's all. Oh, I'm sure. Aviation. I'm sure. And then within that 2%, only 2% of that is from private aviation. Right. We're talking about right. a subset of a subset I, that, you know, people kind of get all upset about um, because it's easy, right? It's easy to point the finger. I know, like, I, I, I know, I know. And it's, it's just the environment that we're in. And Bill Gates is on record for saying he has a huge carbon footprint, but he justifies it because of the work that he's doing. That's, that's, that's a conversation for another day. And I, yeah, and I, no, I, but it, that, those are the, how the, all those things kind of impact the. Yeah. Industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. Well, come back to depreciation. How fast, I mean, you know, a jet comes out today, a certain model comes out today. What does the depreciation schedule look like? I mean, I, I, they're certainly not like uh, Toyota Camrys and Celicas. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I haven't dealt too, too much with the newer ones. So yeah. I don't want to speak too much to the newer ones, but, you know, it's, it's interesting. And is there a sweet have- spot when you go to buy them? I mean, c- c- because, you know, I always buy cars that are two years old. Sure. It's just just my thing that my father-in-law came from the trucking industry and was very tight-fisted. But I always buy cars that are two years old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically, you. so what you have is, it was kind of interesting, when a new jet comes out, they announce it. 
And then they say they're going to deliver it in the future. So they'll announce it. The Global 8000 is coming out and it's going to be delivered 2025. But you can go buy that jet for $75 million. You know, you put your deposit in, you hold your spot. So you have that. And then two years later, when you're about to take delivery, because it's going to actually going to be showing up now, there's a little bit more hype. It could, you could possibly sell it to someone who didn't want to wait two years and maybe yeah, they yeah. can sell it for either the same price or a little bit more. Sure. So you have that. Then they take delivery of it. Well, within that period, you have usually about five years or so of manufacturer warranties. So it still holds its value decently well for the next couple of years while the warranties are in place. Once the warranties go, that's where you're going to take your first big hit. And then it's really dependent. It's not a good idea to look at it from the term of of age, how old the jet is, like you would with a car, but it's rather it's, it's usage. Yeah. Uh, the value of the jet's going to be in the use because you could have a one year old plane that's flown, you know, a thousand hours or one that's flown 10,000 hours. Sure. There's a big price difference. Yeah. 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 So it, it, it's point of reference is like an auto, automobile industry. Similar. You yeah. mentioned, you mentioned earlier about pilots and something I've always been curious about. Are a lot of pilots just kind of, you know, glorify gig workers. And I, I don't mean to disparage them, but my, my point is, is of course you have the commercial airline pilots and I, and I have some good friends that re- recently retired from that industry and they shared with me, said, well, listen, you got to realize we don't get paid unless we're in the air, unless we're actually working. If, if a flight is canceled or not, we don't get paid. How does that work in the private industry, in the uh, private airline industry? Sure. So private and business aviation pilots can either be salaried or they can be contract pilots. So salaried uh, pilot could be anywhere from $100,000 for a light jet up to $300,000 for like a Gulfstream. And that's a salary. So they're on call. So like, you know, to your point, it doesn't matter if they're flying or not. They're they're employed by a specific, by by the owner. And then you have your independent contractors that are, are freelance pilots. Um, I mean, they're they're to your point only only making money when they're working, and um, that's you know they could be working directly for owners that just have you know a rolodex of independent contractors they call up. They could be working for charter companies um, that are like small you know regional or, or small like airlines you know that only call them up when they use them or they put them on a schedule. Um, but they're independent contractors, so they're not employees of of the company. So those are the two ways that pilots kind of uh, get paid. Interesting. Why does somebody, I'm kind of retracking here, but why does somebody typically buy a jet? Is it, is it, is it an ego trip? Is it genuine? Because it's very difficult, I think, to make a business decision to, to buy a jet. I mean, even Warren Buffett, I think, and he may still own a charter company. At one point he did, uh, Berkshire Hathaway did, but is it, a lot of times, is it, is it just an ego thing or is it like they genuinely just value their time and they don't want to rub elbows, even if it's in first class with somebody? I mean, what have you seen the incentive behind purchasing a jet? There's a lot of different reasons to purchase a, a private jet. And I'm going to give you kind of a formula if, if, if you're the analytical type and you want to know, like, does it actually make like number sense? Most of the time, it's not going to make number sure. sense. Okay, but I'm going to give you a formula. Kind of like buying a yacht, right? Or yeah, a boat of a yeah. certain size, sure. But I'm going to give you a formula to figure it out and and you and you'll know why, you know, the ultra wealthy do. But for the majority of people, it kind of comes down to a couple of different things. Um it can be 
they want the write-off, you know? Um, it could be they're traveling so much that um, they are wasting time, you know, in, in the airports and out of the airports. It could be a safety thing. Like they don't want to be with other people. They want to take control of their own safety. And whether that means, you know, they're masking or they're not masking, vaccine, not vaccine, whatever, whatever their definition of safety is, they want control of that. So they want to fly private. Um, maybe they like to fly with their pets. That that could be part of it. Maybe they're getting in and maybe they're getting in and out of airports and 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 places to go that aren't serviceable by the commercial airlines. I mean, there's about I think ten times more private airports for business aviation than there are um, uh, commercial aviation. So we're going to get you closer to your final destination. Right, and right. Saving thing. Maybe they want to conduct, be more pr- productive, and conduct business in the sky. A lot of these have. A lot of the planes have texting, they have streaming, you know, you can work while you're there in the sky. So that makes, you know, all the difference for them. Um, Some of them, it is a flex, you know, but it could also be a strategic flex, you know, part of your, part of your business is being seen as successful as being. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How, how big of a deal, if, if you and I are going after the same client and you want to have a meeting with that, with that client, right. If you tell them, Hey, you know, fly over, we'll have a meeting, you know, just take Delta and I'll see you, you know, next week versus me. And I say, Hey, I'm going to send my private jet to come pick yeah. you up. You know, I mean, yes, it's a flex, but it's a, it's a strategic flex. Right. And so basically what I tell people is, is this, you know, take a look at how much your time is worth on a per hour basis. Right. right? Of course. A general, in general, a jet is going to cost you three thousand to twenty thousand dollars an hour. An hour to yeah. run, right? So just just do the math. If you're going to save yourself five hours, you know, because you're not going to go through TSA, et cetera, et cetera, you're not going to you're going to be closer to your airport. You're actually going to get work done in the plane. Like if you save yourself those five hours and your hours are you know ten thousand dollars an hour. Well, that's 50 grand. Well, you get a small light jet that only costs you $2,000 to operate sure. you know, per hour. Well, 10 versus two, like that makes, that makes sense. So how many, how many buyers are women? Um, I've only had a handful of, of, of women that have come. Now I will also say my market kind of skews towards owner operators that are primarily, you know, older gentlemen that are pilots that sure. have built their business that uh, want to continue this hobby. Right. So, right, right. uh, yeah, I've come across I'm just more curious. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I've come across more women, especially in the, when it becomes like a corporate purchase, not just a guy that, you know, is an owner and an operator. Interesting. Talk a little bit about financing. Where so where do these folks go to get financing and how does it work? I mean, what what are the banks or the financing companies? How do they see it and what do they use for collateral? The question of financing a jet is is fun. And I always when someone calls me, it's like, is this a cash purchase or a financing? Well, I could do either one. Like the banker's a buddy of mine. It's like, have you asked them? <laughs> have you actually <laughs> talked to them about a 1980s <laughs> citation jet? Like that's under a million dollars. Like he's a fraternity buddy of mine, but maybe we weren't that close, right? Right, well, you weren't that close. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So banks are going to look at a couple of different things. Um, they don't like to lend on anything older than twenty years or older, right? So it's got to be two thousands now, regardless of the mileage, the hours. Yeah, just that's just going to be like step one. The standard. Yeah. Now we can find lenders, and I work with financial brokers. Um, 
and that's again another reason why you want to work with a, a broker to help you find these things, have these connections. But we have lenders that will go that will give be exceptions to all of what I'm going to tell you right now. Okay. So banks usually want something that's 20 years or or newer. Um, they want the engines to be on what's called a maintenance program where you pay into it. So you go to the engine manufacturer, you say, hey, I want you to cover this engine like insurance for any maintenance that it needs, yada, yada, yada. And they're like, no problem. You just pay us $200 for every hour that you fly in the engine. And then whenever you bring it in for maintenance, it'll be covered. So banks want to see that. They want to see if the engines are on Sure. Um, they prefer, most banks prefer that it's an individual owner, uh, not a, or a company, not putting it on a charter so that it's not going really? to a lot of hours, a lot of use. There's yeah, 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 yeah. some lenders, okay. yeah, some lenders, charter companies are their bread and butter, but I'm just giving you generalities. Mm. Um, so if you're going to buy a jet so that you can put it on a charter and, and, and rent it out, uh, you might have a harder time finding a lender. Um, banks are going to look at what is your, what is your experience? You know, what is your experience in aviation? Are you a pilot? Um, have you bought, you know, a plane before? Do you have plane ownership in your background? You know, is it part of your business strategy as a company? How healthy are your company's, you know, financials? What's your financial situation look like? I mean, they're going to ask for two years of, of records, you know, to oh, verify, sure. you know, that you are liquid enough to, 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 to handle this, this purchase. So, um, and then what was really weird about the last two years is you had banks trying to put a valuation on an aircraft where the valuation just kept going up, 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 and up. So, you know, the banks, you know, a guy wants a $2 million loan. The bank looks at the plane and says, well, last year, this thing was worth 1.3. Like, you know, and we send an appraiser out and he's like thinking maybe 1.5, you want $2 million. Well, that guy doesn't get the loan, but the plane sells a week later to a guy who's going to pay cash. Right. So what was the real valuation of it? Was it last year? Was it what the appraiser thought? Or was it what it actually was sold for? That was kind of a weird flux that we had um, last year. And, the, you know, so so value, bank valuations are going to play a role when getting financing, because if they don't think it's worth as much as you need or as much as the asking price is, you might not get the loan. Now, you're using the term bank. I mean, I can't imagine Bank of America actually finances jet purchases. I mean, are, are there is there private equity pools out there that specialize in this yeah various you got banks pools. you do have some some banks actually boa will uh finance something that's pretty new but it's got really? to be like 10 million plus okay so they're just they're just playing in a lot bigger pool and, and and it's funny because more and more banks are seeing that opportunity because they're seeing the growth in the aviation market and they're like oh how do we get you know how do we get in on this um, but it's like I said, mostly 20 years or newer, not on a charter, on engine programs. And that's kind of what they're looking for. Interesting. And, and then the, one more thing, each lender will have a different sweet spot. Some lenders prefer a million or below. Some prefer one to three million loans. Some prefer three to eight. And then they kind of go from there. So there's going to be different lenders for different amounts that you're going to be looking for. Now, do you connect people with financing? Yeah, I, either directly with lenders if I know, but I I, I prefer to... Uh, to connect them with a finance broker. Yeah, of course. And, you know, who can actually take all the information that they need and they send that information to the people that they know. So interesting. This has been a lot of fun. I, I, I want a jet. Let's go, man. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe the one that you buy uh, in this toy store there. So for, for now, if, if, 
after my podcast goes global and I, I knocked Joe Rogan out of number one spot, you gotta, there, yeah, I'm, you gotta I'll, travel I'll give you a call. Right, right. Well, well, Tom, this has been fun. What uh, what are you excited about right now? To be honest, right now there's there's a lot there's a lot to be excited about. Um, I, I may have mentioned earlier, you know, as of late, a couple of months ago, I branched out on my own, Jet Life Arrow. Um, I'm really excited about the content that we're putting out. I'm really passionate about pulling back the curtain on private aviation. When I started as a broker and I went on, this is how I shop. I went to Google, I went to YouTube and just try to get all my questions answered. And there was nothing out there. So after a while, when I, as I was working as a broker, I kept getting the same questions over and over again. Sure. And I'm like, you know what? I love content creation. So I'm just going to record these videos and build a library so that when somebody asks me, it's like, boom, here, go to my YouTube channel and, and just do a deep dive, you know? Absolutely. So now that I'm on my own, I have more time to, um, to, to devote to the content creation, to pull back the curtain, to help someone buy or sell their jet without wasting time or losing money. I'm really passionate about that. Really passionate about working with people, helping educate them so that they can make an informed decision that's right for them. That's just how I buy things. I, I research it. I find somebody sure. that I know, like, and trust, and they become my guy. And, and, and we just, we go from there and that's, that's what I want to be for more people. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about, um, you know, as things grow, um, I was very fortunate that as a, a former youth pastor, you know, guy with a family guy, you know, someone that was just hungry, but didn't have the right vehicle. I was fortunate to get, be given the opportunity to go into private aviation and become a jet broker. Whereas, you know, I think a lot of people don't, may not, may not have that opportunity. So I'm passionate about growing my agency, you know, finding people that are that are good, like just good hearts, servant leadership, servant hearts sure. that, you know, uh, are hungry and they just need the right vehicle because it's really it's really a simple business, you know, call, 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 you know, serve, 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 serve. It's a simple business. It's just not easy. You know, you need to have that hunger and that that grit to just, you know, keep doing the same thing over and over. Yeah, again. I'm sure you do. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's like, so, yeah, I'm sure it's like, uh, sure it's like any type of brokering. You just have to keep at it and keep yeah. at it. Well, that's it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. So, so where, where do we see you three to five years down the road now? Uh, three to five years down the road. Uh, I'm hoping that, you know, we have a nice, a nice solid agency with a number of brokers that are helping people and serving people with their private aviation needs. I'm um, hoping the content continues to grow into something that is, you know, you think personal financing, you think Dave Ramsey, you know, you think real estate, you think all these, you know, all these guys, Chris Corn and, and, and Ty Lopez and all these people. Sure. Um, I hope that when people start to think about private aviation, they think Jet Life with Tom. <laughs> well, that's great. I, it's a fascinating niche. And uh, I certainly know a whole lot more about it. And I appreciate you very much coming on the coming on the show there. So anything you want to leave us with before we, Oh, listen, where can people reach you? Yeah, for sure. So we're all over social media. We're on a uh, LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram at Tom Lelio. That's L E L Y O or Lima yep. Echo Lima Yankee Oscar. Uh, find us on YouTube with jet life on Tom. And that's probably the best place to, to find our content jet life with Tom. Um, and then go please. One thing I want to, I want to share with your audience is, you know, if you're interested in learning more about, um, buying a plane, selling a jet, chartering a jet, or maybe you're one of those people that want to invest in private aviation, but you don't know how. Maybe you want to 
buy and invest in a private jet, right. but you're not going to use it. And so you want to hand it over to a charter company that can fly it and generate yep. revenue for you. We just put down our jet investor guide. Um, so you go to the ultimate All those guides are there. The ultimate cool. the buy, sell, charter and investor guide. And then last, but not least another place to find me. If you're, if something's stirring in your heart where you want to, you know, learn more about becoming a jet broker, reach out to me. I, I work with the aircraft brokerage Academy, which is an online uh, course where we teach you exactly how to become a jet broker uh, with a mentorship involved as well. So I'm always happy to answer questions for people who want to learn more about becoming a jet broker themselves. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure having you on this show and, uh, to all my listeners out there, I appreciate very much you tuning in. And uh, Tom, I hope to have you back in the future. Thanks. I look forward to it, Bob. You betcha. Bye-bye. Hello, dear listeners. This is Bob again. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect.